This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Today, the analysts threw everything they had at the stock, everything. They made a concerted effort to get you out while the getting's still good. And what happened? Despite the downgrades, we had a mixed session when Dow dipped 84 points. But the S&P only advanced 0.1%. Nasdaq gained 0.9% after opening much lower. Now, do not get me wrong. Stocks have had an incredible run here. So most of these downgrades seem well-reasoned and action-oriented to me. But are they right now, you know my mantra, bulls make money, bears make money, but hogs, well, hogs, they get slaughtered. I don't want to be too greedy, and that rule has never got me in trouble. So we need to take these calls seriously. We always should focus on downgrades. They can be very meaningful. So let's start with the big one of the day. Let's start with General Electric. This morning, Steve Toos of J.P. Morgan, one of my favorite analysts, the man who got you out of GE 18 points ago, took the stock from a hold to a sell. In truth, he's been, cont- he's been consistent in disliking this one for ages. But having a hold on it implied that maybe he thought its next move could be higher. After today, when he cut his price target from six to five, we know he isn't about to go positive on this baby. Tusa's argument, he's saying people are too bullish and there's still a lot of things that could go wrong, especially if we go into a recession. He's concerned that investors are quite taken with what CEO Larry Culp is trying to do. But enthusiasm has morphed into too much optimism. It's misplaced. GE still has serious structural problems, strictly its gigantic power division and its horrific long-term care insurance policies. This was an opus, an opus dedicated to telling you to sell GE. Now, I like what Culp is doing. When Culp came on the show, I, I don't know about you, but I think you felt like a breath of fresh air. I believe in his plan. I think 2019 is a reset year, reset year. Yeah. And then 2020 will be when we get real earnings progress. Now, that's the polar opposite of Tusa's thesis. Tusa says GE's problems are just too great for that kind of turnaround to be real possibility. He's got nothing against Culp. Nothing. It's all about cash flows. Most of it's well-reasoned, although I do take issue with his assertion that GE is not necessarily accounting for its aviation cash flow in a fair way. I'm making the picture too rosy. I thought that was out of school. Short term, I think Tusa could be right about the stock. It, it, look, it dropped 5% on his downgrade, so he's kind of making himself right. But if Colby engineer another brilliant sale, like he did by offloading this life science business to Dan Hur, his old employer for $21.4 billion, you might want to be a buyer. Now, look, Tusa... How many times can I praise that guy? But you know what? Long term, I'm betting on Culp. Next, there's Boeing. 
By Boeing this morning, he got hit by the brutal downgrade from Bank of America Merrill, which took the stock from a buy to a hold. Boeing's a major Dow component. That's why, by the way, the Dow Jones average has stayed in a rub while the S&P and NASDAQ rebound. I got to say, I found this to be a compelling piece of research. Why? Okay, to me, a good piece of research is ahead of the curve. I like it when analysts slash numbers before the compadres, and a case can still be made that it's not too late to sell. And that's exactly what Bank of America Merrill gave you with Boeing. They argue that there's no quick fix to the safety issues that bedevil what used to be Boeing's most popular plane. That's the 737 MAX. Therefore, Boeing's making production cuts, and that's going to hurt both their earnings and their cash flow. Now, this analyst had hoped that we would get maybe a three to six month delay from the safety issues. Now he's saying it could be six to nine months. And more importantly, the company will only produce 42 of these planes per month, down from 52 a month ago. The essence of the downgrade was simple. Boeing's going to have a big down year because of this, with the company perhaps earning $11.80 per share, down 26% versus last year. Now, that does hurt. Money managers really don't like to own the stocks of companies with shrinking year-over-year earnings. Regular viewers know I am a big Boeing supporter. But this downgrade has gravitas. And with the stock still up 16% year-to-date, I think bringing the register here does make sense. As Phil LeBeau told us on Friday when I was in Squawk on the Street, production cuts are the biggest indicator about where the stock's going. There's fallout from this Boeing thing all over the place. The one I care most about is Southwest Air, symbol love, LUV, which Raymond James called out today claiming there's near-term earnings risk because of their 737 MAX fleet and the grounding of them. I get where they're coming from. The estimate cuts here are pretty meager in this downgrade. They're, they cut their earnings estimates from 445 to 440 for this year. Eh, it's barely even a trim. To me, this is the kind of downgrade that just makes you want to buy another airline. Uh, maybe one with less exposure, 737 MAX. Maybe American, maybe uh, United Continental. How about Micron? Okay, here's a stock that has been constantly downgraded of late. Micron's a commodity semiconductor maker that supported a weak quarter last time around. The company cut production and talked about reducing inventory. Yet since then, the stock's been on fire, and it's now up 35% for the year, with the belief that perhaps what's going to happen is if you cut back on production, inventory goes down, and maybe prices can go up again. So today, Cowan slammed it with another downgrade. The gist! Even though Micron cut production, it won't matter. It won't matter because there could be another decline in pricing for its key product, DRAMs, next year. A lot of bulls have been predicting a bottom in this business, but Cowan thinks they're getting ahead of themselves. Now, this isn't exactly a fresh take. The analysts have been fighting the recent run in the semiconductor stocks both tooth and nail. They keep arguing that we've got more number cuts ahead. Cowan's now saying Micron's going to earn just 637 a share in 2019, 487 next year. Look at that, that's a big decline. If Cowan's right, then you need to sell this stock non-ways to Sunday. The thing is, I don't think it's right. I believe the economy is going to get stronger, which will bolster Micron's bullishness and their business, uh, as well as the build-out of 5G wireless networks all over the world. And I tell you, stick with Micron because of 5G. But I like NVIDIA even more. Why? Well, I like NVIDIA because its chips are actually proprietary, so you've got a lot more protection from potential competitors. Micron does have to deal with the resurgent Samsung. All right, then there's Clorox. Today, J.P. Morgan took a big swing in Clorox, downgrading from hold to sell, sell, sell. Before we dig into this one, let me say that Clorox is an extraordinarily well-run company with CEO Ben O'Dor at the helm. However, J.P. Morgan believes that Wall Street's consensus earnings estimates are just too high. So they're cutting numbers. Because Clorox will get less benefit from its price increases going forward. The analyst cuts their earnings forecast from $6.34 to $6.26. That's not necessarily a big deal. 
except the consensus is at 632, and these are safety stocks. So are they right? Look, Clorox has already pulled back from 167 to 153. Stock goes any lower, I think that it, it, it can report an earnings disappointment like J.P. Morgan's looking for, and the stock might just barely blink. Finally, let's talk about one that didn't have any impact at all. UBS took Starbucks from buy to hold. Now, this is a victory downgrade. The analysts wrote the stock up huge, capturing a 55% gain from the bottom, and now they argue that the good news is baked in. In short, this is a pigs get slaughtered piece of research. In other words, he didn't want to stick around uh, after such a big win. I can't criticize that attitude. All I can do is say thank you. That said, if Starbucks comes back in, you know what? Maybe you buy it in a week. Here's the bottom line. Today, we got some powerful downgrades from analysts who can't be as positive as they were when stocks were much lower. Logical. Even if you disagree with them, it's still worth considering what the bears have to say, if only so that you're prepared in case things go wrong. And you know from Mad Money that you should always be prepared for things to go wrong. John in Florida. John! Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call, and I just love your show, and go Virginia Cavaliers tonight. There you uh, go. I like big, that. In the, in the big game. Hey, I have my question, though, is regarding Viacom and CBS. It, I'm a longtime Viacom shareholder, and I have a little bit of shares of CBS, and can't believe how cheap the stock is for Viacom. With a price earning of 7.9% and maybe paying a dividend about 27 with lots of great contact, it seems to me that a CBS-Viacom merger should be a no-brainer, especially with talks that there could be up to $1 billion of cost synergies. What is, what is your view? What John, your I could not that? agree more, which is why Viacom is a huge position for our charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We got a call on Friday at 1130, and I'm going to say exactly what you said. I may even borrow it from John in Florida, because that's exactly how I feel. I think Viacom's the cheap one, just in case, because I think they're having a good quarter anyway. Let's go to Peter in California. Peter! Hi, Jim. Peter, Thanks what's up? Taking my call. Sure. Hey, I bought AYX stock, Alterex, in January this year for about seventy-one bucks. Nice. It's around eighty. Okay. In the last two weeks, it's dropped every day, a little bit, a little bit, and I know it's been on quite a run since January. And I heard there was an acquisition last week. What can you tell me about the acquisition? And would this be a sell or a hold position? No, no, we shoes? really like it. And it's just a small thing. They, they bought a little artificial intelligence. But, you know, we've liked Alteryx, and we think it's terrific. Now, uh, all the high multiple stocks have come in. That's a classic high multiple stock. I think you hold on to it. And if it really gets hammered, maybe you buy a little more. And thank you for the call. Today, today we saw some powerful downgrades. And they did help send the market lower. Some I agree with. Some I don't. But I do urge you to consider the bear cases. It's only just to challenge your mind. Oh, man, buddy, tonight. Don't believe the Wall Street Journal's doom and gloom headlines. I'm pointing out three stocks whose earnings weakness could present the prime time to buy. Then Apple, NVIDIA, and McCormick are all stock staples. But how have the companies been able to bounce back after bad news? We're studying, so we're going to do a case study. And as more universities turn to offering online degrees, I'm eyeing one company pioneering the trend that I think's cashing in on it. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. 
Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity, or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com/apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com/apps. This weekend, we got another terrifying lead story in the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to give a quote here. Expected earnings pullback sets up big tests for bull market. This piece is designed to frighten you into believing that stocks are too high. Let me read you the first graph. Quote, the stock market's strongest run in more than two decades will be tested beginning this week as a looming pullback in corporate profit growth sets up major indexes for a fresh bout of volatility. End quote. Of course, volatility being a code for going lower. The author points out that dozens of companies, dozens, have slashed their forecasts. End quote. Companies that miss earnings estimates could respond by cutting spending, which could trigger stock sell-off. End quote. Now, in theory, that's all true. Dozens of companies have cut numbers, and if we get a ton of disappointments, that would be very bad for both the economy and the stock market. But then the piece goes off the rails, because when the writer searches for examples, the best he can come up with is Walgreens, FedEx, and 3M. If those are your best arguments for why we should be worried... Well, you really don't have much of a case. As someone who's been all over these three companies, hearing uh, just you wait, earnings season could play out exactly like Walgreens, FedEx, and 3M, well, frankly, that doesn't really scare me. Honestly, if that's the worst-case scenario, I feel pretty good. Let me tell you why. Right now, there's a huge disconnect between the performance of stocks and their fundamentals, how the underlying companies are actually doing. Whenever we see this situation, it tells us that something else might, must be at work. Let's start with 3M. When this diversified manufacturer reported that last time out, and the numbers were not so hot, the stock stood at 193. There were not one, but two scathing pieces by Steve Tusa, the influential analyst at J.P. Morgan, who totally nailed the decline in General Electric. I referenced that earlier. In his sell call, he argued that 3M was beset sell, by sell, weakness, sell, sell, sell. thanks to, a part of a slow, to, in part, a slowing economy, and the stock deserved to trade down 35 points versus where it was at the time. Now, Tusa's analysis of 3M, the, the company, the company was pretty spot on. But 3M, the stock? Well, that has roared higher, climbing up to $215 as of today. That's up more than 20 bucks since management hit us with a so-called guy down that the Wall Street Journal cites as a reason to be very afraid. But, man, I wish every stock behaved like 3M after giving disappointing guidance. How about the next example, FedEx? Now, I was on the FedEx call, which is pretty darn negative, about Europe and China. CEO Fred Smith came on this show and told us how business has gone south because the global economy is slowing and fulfilling the demand in the United States requires a higher level of investment than expected. Going to the quarter FedEx stock, $181. Three days and much bashing slashing later, it was $172. But since then, FedEx has rallied 19 straight points to $191. Oh, the humanity. Finally, Walgreens. The drugstore chain reported a truly terrible quarter. Uh, while management wouldn't cop to it, the front of the store is being eaten alive by Amazon, along with the newly aggressive Walmart. As for the pharmacy, lots of high-margin prescription drugs are being threatened by government reimbursement cutbacks. So, yeah, Walgreens was awful. But it had nothing to do with the broader economy. Unless you mean the job market's so good that it's hurt their labor, that it's cost them some labor problems. Uh, high quality. To me, 3M and FedEx are roaring thanks to a benign Federal Reserve 
that now seems more likely to cut interest rates than raise them, which would rid the stock market of the curse of the inverted yield curve. Sure, 3M could get hit again when it reports on the 25th. They have auto exposure and a lot of Chinese business. So if the tariffs hurt, well, then it could go lower. But if we get a trade deal with China, then people will overlook that weakness, and they will buy this stock hand over fist. Buy, 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 buy. That's what drives me nuts about these kinds of stories. For the most part, the writers are good and they make logical arguments. But while we're having a white rabbit moment when logic and proportion have fallen sloppy dead, there's a huge disconnect between the current fundamentals and the way these stocks are trading, a disconnect that they never address. The next time someone warns you that we could have more guide downs like 3M and FedEx, remember that these stocks have defied the odds and roared higher. If that's all we have to worry about, I'm feeling pretty darn good about what's ahead. Stick with me. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Even after getting dinged today, we've had an incredible bull run since the beginning of the year. The S&P 500 is now up 15% for 2019, just 45 points from its all-time highs at last September. That's a magnificent move, but it only scratches the surface of what's so great about this market. The thing that really stands out to me, this is a forgiving market, like a Wall Street Truth and Reconciliation Commission that we saw in South Africa post-apartheid. At the beginning of this year, time after time, we saw high-profile stocks get eviscerated. After the underlying companies reported seemingly horrible news. But time after time, these companies came roaring back. Now, some of the most iconic names that you could have given away, kids could not give them away in January, have rebounded so dramatically that it's like the bad news never even happened. Just look at Apple, NVIDIA, and McCormick. Yes, McCormick, we're talking about the Spice Company, okay? Well, Three companies that look like roadkill at the beginning of the year with stocks that have now erased their epic declines, and then some. So what can we learn from these household names that got put on sale when everyone was a lot more inclined to panic? Why don't we start with an old friend of the show? Let's start with Apple. You know I'm a big believer in CEO Tim Cook, which is why my mantra with this stock has always been very simple. Own it, don't trade it. But sometimes holding Apple has gotten... Very difficult. <laughs> Look at that. That's the, that is the epitome of pain. During the fourth quarter bear market, the stock got obliterated. People started worrying about an ugly slowdown in iPhone sales. Given that the iPhone makes up more than half of Apple's business, a lot of shareholders panicked. And the stock drifted from 233 in early October down to 157 at the end of the year. Then adding insult to injury, at the beginning of January, Apple hit us with a whammy of a pre-announcement. The company said they'd have a huge revenue shortfall, primarily because of weakness in China. The next day, the stock lost roughly 10% of its value, plunging to 142 bucks. Remember, this is one big cap stock. At that moment, Apple felt like the most hated stock in the universe. But you know what? Since then, the stock has been on fire. Do you know what's up more than 40% from its January lows? Oh, and you know what? I think that game was eminently gettable, frankly. And I'm not just bragging, okay? I'm very proud of this. But we, less than a week later of the pre-announcement, 
We went out to speak to Tim Cook at his headquarters in Cupertino to find out what the heck was going on. You know what? He told a very compelling story about Apple's rapidly growing service revenue stream. At the time, the stock was at $150. Now it's at $200. I straight up told you that this moment felt exactly like 2016 when Apple plummeted to 93 and Cook came on our show right here, right here. And it's basically called the bottom. Remember that moment? It's like Apple's best days are behind it. Well, were they? What's driving this comeback? First of all, Apple never should have been down so much to begin with. This is a common theme with stocks that sold off during this period. During the winter of our discontent, I would say. So when the company reported after its pre-announcement, the results were better than feared, and the stock bounced. Okay? That's what happened. More importantly, Apple has slowly but surely convinced investors to recognize the incredible opportunity that the company has with its services business, which is a lot wider than just something simple like the watch. Get this. Two weeks ago, the company held its annual new product event where they announced a bunch of new offerings, including a credit card and subscription services for news, television and gaming. I was prepared for Wall Street to be underwhelmed by the stuff. But people are finally starting to get it. Apple has an installed base of more than a billion users, and they can make a fortune by giving those people terrific deals on content and for things like a credit card where they know what people want. Still, it's amazing how Apple was able to go from zero to hero in a matter of months. Just this morning, Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty penned a 50-page note titled, Don't Underestimate Apple's Move into Healthcare, which is something I've been saying for ages. Apple's more than a gadget maker, and this idea is finally gaining traction. Plus, even after this move, the stock's darn cheap. It's for 15 times earnings. Hey, remember, Tim Cook said, he told us that his legacy would be healthcare. I could not agree more. All right, now how about the turn in NVIDIA? Seven months ago, the semiconductor play was one of the hottest stocks in the universe. Then NVIDIA just collapsed. I mean, this is really pretty nasty, right? Pummeting from 292 at its highs down to 124. It was, that was the lowest, by the way, where the day after Christmas. The culprit, NVIDIA makes chips for gaming, the data center, cryptocurrency mining, artificial intelligence. When crypto uh, collapsed last year, it turned out that NVIDIA was getting a lot of sales from this business. And suddenly the industry was stuck, stuck with way too much inventory because crypto demand evaporated. They thought some of these chips were going for gaming. Many of them were going for crypto. The stock started bouncing in January, though, right up until NVIDIA smacked us in the face with a horrific pre-announcement. Just a gigantic revenue shortfall. Anyone who bought the stock at the beginning of the year, well, let's just say they felt like a fool as it fell back from 160 to 131. But NVIDIA, too, has made a remarkable comeback. The stock's back above 190 today as we've gotten more and more data points indicating that the semiconductor business has bottomed for them, including some stunning numbers, by the way, that we got from their competitor, AMD. Plus, in March, the company acquired Mellanox. Okay, that's an Israeli data center-oriented chip maker for $6.9 billion. Oh, and CEO Jensen Wong has told an amazing story about the future of graphic cards. I like NVIDIA so much that a few weeks ago, we started buying it back for the charitable trust. You can follow that by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We sold it around here. Proud of that one. Make some mistakes, but periodically get them right. At 292, NVIDIA was too expensive, but down in the mid-100s earlier this year, it was too cheap to ignore. The world was ending. The company had some temporary problems that they're now working through, which is why the stock has caught fire again. Finally, there is McCormick. All right, now we got to talk about McCormick because this is an amazing comeback story. Uh, the top player in the spices and seasonings industry really fell on hard times after having a big run. Now, this is another formerly red-hot stock that rapidly lost its mojo in the fourth quarter. Way back in 2017, McCormick acquired a bunch of sauces from Reckitt Benkeiser, including Frank's mustard and Frank's, uh, French's mustard and Frank's hot sauce. Hey, this was a fabulous deal, which is why the stock ran from 90, look at this, to 156 last December. That's a nice run, right? 
You want to catch that. But then McCormick started selling off along with the rest of the market, pulling back to 139 by the end of the year. Then at the end of January, the company reported a devastating quarter, a top and bottom line miss, coupled with truly tepid guidance 2019. I was actually pretty surprised. Now I'm just starting to talk about 1% to 3% growth this year, down from 12%, 12% last year and also gave us disappointing earnings forecasts. In response, the stock plummeted 10.5% single session down to 124. I mean, that is just awful. A few days later, McCormick drifted to 120, and that is where it bottomed. Now, here's the crazy thing. It really is just completely nuts. Since then, this stock has been on a roll, slowly but steadily clawing back its losses. It's now trading at $153, up 27% from its early February lows. At this point, McCormick is trading like that disappointing quarter never happened. Heck, it's less than $3 away from its all-time high here. And most of this rally happened on no real news. McCormick was boosted by broader rotation back into packaged food stocks, even though it doesn't have much of a dividend compared to the likes of General Mills or Mondelez. Hey, by the way, Mondelez, we've been eating these Tate's cookies all weekend. Got to cut back. However, the buyers clearly knew what they were doing because when McCormick reported two weeks ago, the company delivered a big earnings beat. And even though management left their guidance unchanged, the quarter restored confidence in the business, which is why I think it's going to have no problem taking out its high. You know what? Think about this. We have seen the same pattern from Home Depot. We're seeing it from Nike right now, which I think is a serious buy. Dow Chemical last week. Stocks that were left for dead and then came roaring back once people realized that they weren't dead. The bottom line, when a company with a terrific long-term track record suffers a setback and the stock implodes, the pain can make you want to dump the stock and forget about it. But as we've seen from Apple, NVIDIA, and McCormick, these moments of extreme weakness and desperation, they tend to be terrific buying opportunities. Let's go to Dean in Washington. Dean. Hey, booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, Dean. What's up? Oh, just looking to find out what your thoughts are on Kinder Morgan. I've been looking at it since 2015. They dropped off uh, more than 50 percent and uh, down into 216. And uh, they've been struggling to get out of their teens since then. And I was just wanting to find out, is it the restructuring cut on dividends or what's holding it down? And it's uh, in the basement there. Is it a hold or a move on? Well, no, no, I want you to hold on to it because Rich Kinder keeps buying stock. Here's the problem. Uh, there's been a decided move against all of the pipeline companies. A lot of people feel that these basically are at the end of their lives, that there's not going to be a lot of usefulness for pipelines. Uh, I think they're wrong. I think Kinder is uh, going to do well. Uh, but there are a lot of there are a lot of pipeline companies that are doing quite badly, and it's being brought down by those. I want to go to Scott in Pennsylvania. Scott. Hey, Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm calling today to ask you about Humana. I own the stock currently, and it just seems to steadily be going down, and I don't understand if it's just a sector rotation thing or whether there's something wrong with the stock. No, no, because we could be talking about anyone. If you talk about Centene, we could be talking about UNH. This is a rotation out of these stocks, coupled with the belief that somehow the Democrats and Republicans are going to come together. Come together and make it so we have either a single-payer situation or we have a situation where the government's not going to reimburse. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think these are good to buy right here. A big drop makes you want to jump ship, doesn't it? I get it. But please don't throw in the towel just because there's a bit of pain. Sometimes weakness equals buying opportunity. It's the case for Apple. Oh, and it don't trade it. How about that, huh? NVIDIA and McCormick. Hey, much more mad money. I'm hitting the books and finding out how a digital education company hopes to eliminate the back row in classrooms across the U.S. Then it's a beverage company that has sold more than 2 million bottles in three years, with 90% of orders being processed via text 
message? Are you kidding me? I'm talking to the CEO to find out how capitalizing on tech trends is making his company doing very well. And Oil Calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. After a huge wave of M&A activity at the beginning of the year, we've had a real dearth of deals in recent weeks. I don't know if you noticed that, so you better believe it. Caught my attention when this morning we learned that to you, and that's to you, uh, the, the number, the cloud purveyor of educational software would be acquiring Trilogy Education for $750 million in cash and, most importantly, stock, which is why this company's stock was down. This is a deal that gives them more exposure to technical skills training, like uh, coding boot camps. Now, 2U's stock got dinged today, down 3.4% on the news because some of this is a stock deal. I think this takeover is intriguing. Here's a company that got a fantastic long-term track record as 2U has benefited from the digitization of everything, including education. But last year, the company's growth started slowing and the stock pulled back. And while it's rebounded dramatically in 2019, it's still well off its highs. So could the Trilogy deal help these guys get back on track? Let's take a closer look with Chip Palsek. He's the co-founder and CEO of to you to learn more about his company and what this means for his future. Mr. Palsic, welcome to Med Money. Oh, thank you, Jim. Thrilled to be here. I wish I was there with you physically, but I'm psyched to be here with you from L.A. regardless. Well, same. I need you to tell people, since I was naive, the value proposition both for the schools and for the students that you offer, and then say about the cross-selling that you could do with Trilogy. Sure. So uh, I started the company 11 years ago, believe it or not. We've been public for now five years. Uh, Last week, we celebrated our five-year anniversary. We partner with top universities to build what we believe is the world's best digital and hybrid education. And the business model is we share tuition revenue over the life of a really long contract. So I've been running the company for 11 years. We've never lost a single client. Uh, The acquisition today allows us to help uh, bridge the, the digital skills gap uh, in subjects like coding, UX, UI, data, cybersecurity, uh, still putting the university at the central sort of place in the life of the student long term. So we think it's a huge opportunity for the company. Uh, EdTech's not a sector that has this much action, so uh, we're pretty proud of our track record, and we think Trilogy becomes a huge part of our, our ongoing story long term. I think one of the things I need you to do, uh, I don't mean to be uh, to say that some schools are better than others, none of that. But you have some top flight schools, a Tufts, Syracuse Business School, which I've helped, uh, uh, I've donated to, uh, Harvard Business School. I mean, the institutions we're talking about are some of the finest educational places on earth, correct? Yeah, I mean, our brands, uh, they're they're incredible schools uh, everywhere from Berkeley to Northwestern to Georgetown, Syracuse, Harvard, Yale, as you mentioned. Uh, and what we do is we allow them to bridge uh, to the online environment. If you go back to the founding of the company, we thought it was odd that, that the great schools weren't doing anything online. We really believed that if you had institutional will behind you from these incredible places, you, that the technology was there to do something great. You just needed the full weight of the school behind you. So today, uh, we often say, why should you pick up your life, quit your job, and move to attend grad school if you could get everything you were going to get from that experience but do it over the Internet? Uh, and it's worked quite well. So 11 years in, uh, you know, we're at a point now where, as of today's announcement, we're powering 68 different university partners combined with Trilogy. So that's part of where the story gets super interesting, is uh, you're bringing the market leader working with universities with boot camps uh, into our company as the market leader in online education for great schools. So we think it's got 
uh, wonderful applicability for the long term. Okay, so let's uh, give us the value proposition for a Northwestern uh, and a value proposition for a student. How much it costs? What does it mean for the university? And is there any way sure. they can help keep the cost of tuition down for the rest of the schools? Sure. I mean, the, 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 the largest expense to graduate education is the opportunity cost of the job. So being able to stay employed in your local area, uh, while the tuition is the same, you don't have room and board and you don't have the opportunity cost of quitting your job. So the vast majority of 2U students are working in a current job and looking to sort of take the next step. Uh, now, we have a variety of programs where we actually do local clinical placements. So, Jim, an example of one is our Master of Science in Midwifery at Georgetown. Well, you wouldn't want to go to the midwife that delivered the virtual baby. So, as an example, we power a local clinical experience all over the country to allow people to go in and deliver babies in that program. And that goes for programs like physical therapy or physician assistant, where you wouldn't think it could be done online. So, we're sort of breaking all those boundaries down. Uh, the value proposition to the university we power the experience, so we provide all of the technology, all student support, we do all student recruitment, and ultimately we take a long-term revenue share. We invest in each program, so uh, one of the reasons we were controversial as a new IPO way back in 2014 is that we invest heavily into each program, mm -hmm. so 5 to $10 million of net negative cash over that program's early years, and then over a really long-term contract, 2U does really well, and now that's been proven out you know, in our five years as a public company, but it made us, uh, you know, a, a tricky IPO way back in the day. Right. Like the question was, what are you? You know, you're, are you, you're, of course, we're for profit, uh, but the reality is we work with the best nonprofits and help them power the experience. So we call it 2UOS. It's a comprehensive okay. solution for the schools. The last question I have, my wife's on the board of Bucknell, a fine school, and we were discussing this, and I said to her, I don't understand why every school doesn't do this. I mean, this, this company could be a great partner, uh, is there a chance that pretty much, you know, all the great undergraduate schools that are costing 76000 you know, team up with you somehow to offer uh, something that is off campus? Well, we, we are uh, in the process of working on our first undergrad. We focused on graduate education for most of right. our history. But we, think, we do think it's a really big opportunity. And there's no question that over time, like, the Internet's obviously not new. You know, we're right. sort of in the third wave of for-profit education. The first wave with schools like University of Phoenix. And, you know, we really believe today uh, the second wave was the massive open online courses. Right. And we really believe that the third wave is schools like our schools doing it the real way, offering great degrees in a very accessible format, allowing people to sort of experience it in their homes right. or, you know, at the workplace in a way that just gives you the kind of flexibility that we do think over time certainly will drive down cost, but most importantly drives quality. Right. So our programs have the kind of outcomes you'd see in a campus program. Well, you're and that's a big part a, of the value prop. You're a fascinating company, fascinating stock. Congratulations on the Thank trilogy, you, deal, which I thought was really terrific. That's Chip Palsic. He's the co-founder and CEO of 2U. I hope you're as interested in it as I was. I did not know the company. and I found out this is a company that's vital for the new economy. They have money's back into the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! Give us a round of applause! Let me see this up! Let us help! And then the lightning rounds are, are you ready? Ski, Dad, it's time for the light round! Because we want to let's start with Vincent in Florida. Vincent! Hey, Jim, boo you, buddy. Thanks for taking the call. My pleasure. Uh, looking at CBT, Cabot Corp. You know, that is one of the few industrials that is not starting to roar. 
I think that begs the question. I think we ought to look into why it hasn't, because I think you may have a winner there. I like the company, Cabot. Why don't we go to Mike in Messrs. Mike. Hello, Jim. Mike. I you please share your insight on Helmerich and pain. Well, Helmerich and pain, HP, no. I mean, I've been in a house of pain house with of anything pain. related to oil. Now, we had a couple good days, but this group is too hard to own. Steve in California. Steve. C-Man. Yo, yo. Two weeks ago, an article on the street said this company was a unanimous buy. Let's talk about drugs. Let's talk about Vesepta. Does Ameren need to come down a little bit, or am I buying it right now? I don't know. People are. It's, there's a lot of takeover chatter in that one. So if you don't get a takeover, it's going to come back down. So that means for me, it's a little too dicey because I don't like to recommend stocks on a takeover basis. Can I go to Dan in California? Dan. Hey, Jim, thank you for everything you do for everybody, and specifically for me. Oh, you're very kind. my retirement very comfortable. Thank you. My question is, Ollie, you recommended that some time ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. I bought it, and now I don't know what to do. Should I keep it or what? Why? What did Ollie's do wrong? I think Ollie's has got one of the greatest stories ever because there's no online presence. It has the cheapest. It's a treasure hunt. I want an Ollie's in my backyard. Let's stick with it. Let's go to Richard in Florida. Richard! Richard! Booyah, Jim, from Booyah. Florida. All right. Thanks for all you do for us average shows. We're all average shows. That's what's good about it. Go ahead. All right, Jim, I want to ask you about Novo's recent submission of a, for a priority review for oral semi-glide for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. If approved, is this a game changer for Novo? It's very positive. It's very positive, and the stock is not expensive. Remember, I also like Lily, though, and Lily's very tough as a competitor. You never want to go up against them. I need to speak to Jim in Illinois, please, Jim. Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Jim from Chicago. Okay. I'd like to give you and your staff a big hallelujah. Uh, my question is on Avnet. Could you give me an opinion? You know, Avnet's a decent story. I mean, you know, it's kind of been doing nothing. But, you know, sometimes it's just cons- – look, if we get a stronger economy, you're going to wish that you put that stuff for certain. Ivan in New York. Ivan! Professor Kramer. Yes. All hail the big JC. Having a good day. How about you? This is Ivan the Terrible from Buffalo, New York. Here to give you a big Buffalo love booyah. Well, there you go. I mean, you got a new coach coming here in uh, ice hockey again. What's up? <laughs> First of all, thank you for all the your wisdom. Second of all, if you if you talk to Antonio Brown, tell him he's also welcome in New York Field for any time for a real Buffalo love. I think he just direct messaged me. All right, what's up? Yeah, he loves us too. The stock is Golar LNG Limited. You know what? You know, that is a total spec. And uh, there are too many of those carriers. I'm going to have to rule against that. I actually prefer the uh, Sean uh, McDermott to that one. Let's go to Randy in California, please. Randy. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Thank you from uh, Long Beach for your education. You're welcome. Um, What I want to ask about is uh, Neo, N-I-O. I mean, you know, it goes on 60 minutes. People take it up to 10. It then gets cut in half. I have no edge in this one other than say, wow, this one is just pure dice roll. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
you want to identify the next big thing, sometimes you need to step out of the shadows cast by the largest companies in a given industry and instead focus on the privately held upstarts that are shaking things up. Companies like Iris Nova, that's the parent of beverage startup Dirty Lemon, that makes all sorts of lemon water-based beverages that purportedly help you sleep better, look better, feel better, and maybe just taste better, okay? But the most intriguing part of the story is how they sell this stuff. They do it via text message. In other words, Iris Nova is trying to reinvent the beverage business by connecting directly with customers. And so far, the strategy seems to be working as the growth here has been explosive. They've also recently introduced a few brick-and-mortar locations. You've got to ask about that, right? Called the Drugstore. It's an experimental retailer. No cashiers that basically functions on the honor system. New York City, of all places, there's a lot intriguing here. So let's take a closer look with Zach Normandon. He's the founder and CEO of Iris Nova. To learn more about these concepts and his vision for the future of the beverage business. Mr. Normandon, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank you very much for All right. Now, periodically, Zach, what happens is there'll be something, uh, a guest, okay? And I'm, I'm older, all right? And I'll say, okay, what's this dirty lemon? Right. And each of our young, incredible, terrific staff people will say, how could you not know? And so then I talked to my daughter, and my daughter says, Dad, that's embarrassing. So could you please explain to people of this, new, of this older generation why this is such a craze for the newer people? So the, the non-alcoholic beverage industry globally is expected to reach uh, almost $2 trillion by 2025. Okay. And um, what we saw is that it was that of that industry was largely held by big players like Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola and, Pepsi. And, and Pepsi. And Coca-Cola and Pepsi are, are making sugary uh, high calorie uh, options for uh, for the majority of their products. Um, so what we were looking to do with Dirty Lemon, which is the first brand underneath Iris Nova, is actually uh, create low calorie, no sugar offerings with functional benefits that uh, are appealing to the modern consumer. And it's very clear from how you've done, particularly this text message way, that you are a disruptive force, but you have a relationship with Coca-Cola. Absolutely, yeah. Coke led our last uh, investment round in December. And that, do you know James Quincy? Did he come in and take a look? Uh, the CEO. James did uh, take a look. I, I don't know him personally, but, right. um, but yeah, we're getting to know the Coke team, and it's been an incredible, uh, incredible valuation, uh, uh, validation. Of- so culturally, you guys can uh, fit. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. I think that there's a lot of synergy between the two organizations. All right, so talk to me about the, um, the drugstore and how the uh, honor system works in a place where people wouldn't necessarily think that that would work. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the drugstore is uh, our retail concept. So it's the second brand underneath Iris Nova. And we launched it uh, last year in Tribeca. And then we just launched a second location at Hudson Yards. And then we have two additional locations coming this year. Um, And at the drugstore, we have two components. So there's a retail component, which is a grab-and-go cooler, which allows customers to grab a bottle of Dirty Lemon. And basically, uh, they text us and they tell us what they took. And it's all in the honor system. Oh, wait a sec. I mean... How about I go in and just take it? So you, you could take it, just like... I mean, you be could, a bad guy. I can be a bad guy. You could walk into a grocery store and, and take a product and leave as well. But True. we've built such an, uh, an incredibly passionate group of consumers, in New York City specifically, that we found like this is a, this is a great opportunity for us to offer them an additional layer of convenience to, uh, to their uh, ability to receive dirty lemons. And how much would that bottle cost? So this is $10 a bottle. $10 it's a bottle? premium product, for sure. Wow. Okay, um, it, I guess that's more like a cocktail would, be, would cost at a bar. Similar, but it, well, we're using very high-end ingredients, and, right. um, and we found that 
you know, the, uh, just the formulations and, and the functional benefits that we're providing to consumers, this is what, uh, what the modern consumer wants. Will we see uh, not the drugstores all over the country? Is that your hope? So we're going to have four this year. Really? And we're going to expand the product. Uh, the, uh, the, the brand, rather. Um, but what's really exciting about the drugstore is that we're using all of the tech infrastructure that we built for Dirty Lemon uh, in the drugstore. Right. And then we're also collecting data at retail that's informing better decision-making around new products that we launch in bottled format. So Dirty Lemon and Iris Nova, um, or Iris Nova, rather, houses Dirty Lemon as a brand. Okay. But then we're investing in beverage brands, and we're also launching new brands underneath the platform. Okay, so if I uh, do use the phone number with the backend par- uh, powered by tr- uh, Twilio, which is a friend of the show? Correct. Yes, we have... Uh, Twilio powering and sending messages out to consumers, but all of the tech infrastructure is is in-house. And um, is this one of those things where uh, your what is your demographic? What would you say the average person is? So for the Dirty Lemon brand, it's millennial yeah. females. It is. Uh, so twenty-five to forty-five-year-old uh, females is the is the predominant uh, audience for Dirty Lemon. But we're expanding into a, a broad range of beverages. So we have two other brands that are launching this year. Um, that'll be at varying price points and uh, available for for uh, a variety of different demographics. Would you ever do cannabis? So we actually launched the first uh, CBD beverage in the, in the United States last year. Okay. And um, it was extremely successful, one of our best sellers. But we decided to take it off the market at the end of last year um, because there's a lot of challenges legally around CBD as, uh, as an ingredient in food and beverage products specifically. Right. So despite the fact that the Farm Bill passed, uh, it's still illegal to be used in food and beverage products. And um, so until the FDA gives the, gives the okay there, we, we pulled it out okay. um, because we just want to reduce the liability. And one last question. Instagram, advertising, finished, good. Where are you guys in... So we launched uh, the brand on Instagram, Dirty right. Lemon specifically. Um, at one point, we were spending twenty or thirty thousand dollars a day on Instagram advertising. A lot of money. A lot of money. But uh, what we found is that the cost of acquisition on Facebook uh, and Instagram specifically has gone up considerably over the last two years. And so we're actually investing our dollars now outside of uh, digital and acquiring customers through experiences like the drugstore and other activations that that appeal to a wider audience. Excellent. Well, you know, it's delight to talk to you, and you've got a new model, and you're obviously a pioneer who's willing to take exactly how tough it can be to be a pioneer, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank I, you very I hope much. things work out well. That's Zach Norm- Normandon. He's the founder and CEO of Iris Nova. Now, it's important you know this. Iris Nova is the parent of this company, Dirty Lemons. Don't get that confused, but it is a private company for now. They have money. $10. Be careful. Mad Money's back here to the break. Lost in all the action today was a remarkable move in Amazon. Remember what I said about all of these IPOs? So many of them are powered by Amazon Web Services. That's the real secret sauce to why you should own that stock. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.